today I'm, I'm kind of going to talk to you guys. I'm really, really pumped to talk to you guys. Um, but I'm going to be talking about something that, that I know I struggled with in high school. Um, and that was, uh, I was times, I mean, I was always thinking, why am I not as close to God as I want to be? Why, when I pray, do I feel like I, I, I'm just not as close as I should be? Why, why am I not praying like I should be? Why am I not in his word like I should be? Um, and that was always a challenge to me um, in high school. Um, and so I'm going to be speaking out of Philippians uh, today, but if you guys don't mind, I'd like to pray first. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm just, I'm humbled and I'm blessed to be up here. Um, I'm speaking for you, God. Um, you, you choose to use broken vessels um, to speak your word, and, and, and we thank you for that so much, God. Um, we would ask that, that hearts would be changed today, God, that hearts would be um, Hearts that are hard would be softened, um, and, that, and that just like that song, God, that, that eyes would be open to you, Lord. Um, I ask that you would, you would calm nerves <laughs> and that your spirit would just be here, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, if you guys would open up to uh, Philippians 3, uh, 12 through 16, um, is where Paul is talking to the Philippians. This is it. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to pray one more time. God, I ask that your word would disturb the comfortable today and comfort the disturbed. We ask this in your name. Amen. Um, so there was this guy I played football with in high school. Um, and about our junior year, he started telling everybody, I'm going to play for the NFL. I'm going to play for the NFL. And, of course, people were pretty normal about it. They were like, well, it's like one in a million that you do that. But, yeah, sure, go for it, dude. Like, we, we'd love for you to do it. Um, but you're probably not going to do it. And the guy was always like, oh, I don't care what the haters say. I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove you all wrong. I can't wait to play for the NFL. I can't wait to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, the thing was, this dude did everything that it took to get to the NFL. He treated his body like a temple by smoking as much as he could. You know, he drank to his heart's content. He never got any sleep, and he ate a bunch of crap. Well, he also put forth the effort that had to be into it, you know. He was only doing as much as, as the coach required, right? He was only doing as much as he didn't have to get in trouble. And on top of that, he had the right mindset. As long as he believed hard enough had the talent and the hard-headedness, he would make it. In case you guys didn't catch, there was a little sarcasm there. Um, big surprise, after making it to Division I college football on talent alone, the guy ended up quitting after his first year because it was too much work. 
You guys may, uh, may think the same thing that I thought when I watched him work his way through this whole process. How could you possibly want to compete at the highest level of a competitive sport and say you love it if you're not willing to do the things that is required to do so? But how often do we do that in our spiritual lives? It's not that he wasn't a football player, just like I'm not saying that y'all aren't saved, that you aren't saved, that, I ain't, that I'm not saved. But he was never able to experience football in its fullest capacity like he wanted to. We say that we want to make it to the next level with Christ, but are unaware of what is required to do so. We coast off of the basic biblical knowledge, intermittent church attendance, and prayer only in the time of trouble with the belief that one day a mature relationship with Christ will just come to us. No, that's not the truth, and uh, that's where we get our biggest point for what Paul was saying. We are not done. Christ's call to fight complacency is through knowing him more. Let's take, let's take a look at what Paul meant by this, all this. If y'all would look at, at uh, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm a very goal-oriented person. Um, on my computer at all times, there are at least three to-do lists pulled up. And sometimes on my to-do lists, I have make to-do list. <laughs> Um, and so I, I've always got to focus on what I'm doing. One of the most necessary of these is, is my grocery lists. Every time I think of something, I've got random thoughts that fire in my head, and I've got to write it down or I'll forget it. So I've got a sticky note for my grocery list, and I put it on my desk so I don't forget it. Well, if I don't write on my to-do list, bring grocery list to Target, I forget it every time. And when I get to Target, three things happen. When I've realized... I don't have my list. I spend 17 hours in Target. I only get two things that were actually on the list. And to make up for not bringing my list and feeling like I wasted time, I end up spending like $74 on Swiss rolls. <laughs> um, and uh, those, those go to waste quickly. Um, but Paul, Paul experiences the same thing in his faith. Um, he needs a goal. He needs something to shoot for. Um, and he talks about how he presses on towards it. But what is this goal? What is this that he has not obtained and that he's pressing on to make, to make his own, that Christ intends for his life? Well, to find that, you've got to look back a little bit to verse 10. Um, and uh, Paul writes, um, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul spells it out. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Um, another wording of this can be found in Romans 8, 28 through 29. You don't have to turn there. Um, but most people know 28. But 29 is where we kind of find that message. But it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That brings us to our first point. The purpose in your calling is to be conformed to Christ. You may say, Christ's ideal is impossible. And yeah, you're right. It is. On this, in this life, in the current state that we're in, it's impossible. I mean, if Paul didn't get it, how am I going to get it? But that doesn't mean we don't strive for it. 
I'm not saying that works and becoming like Christ is what saves you. But if you don't feel an obligation towards Christ's call in your life, you might want to take a little self-eval. I mean, why does Paul strive for it? Because Christ first strove for him. This call to conform to Christ can, can't apply to those who haven't been led to Christ yet. And if you haven't felt this call, I'd encourage you to acknowledge Christ's call in your life, which may be as simple as you being in church today. Realize your need for him and a need to commit yourself to his work in your life. But for those of you who have heard Christ's call, conforming to the image of Christ means turning away from the world, turning away from the things you used to think were okay. It means, it means doing things that you normally wouldn't do. Being less centered, less centered on ourselves is one. And I mean, I deal with this every day. All your actions, even the ones that people don't know or need to be called into question. Your entertainment choices, your weekend night choices, even your relationship should look different when we try and imitate Christ, when we try to conform to his image. Let's move on to verses 13 and 14 uh, to see how exactly Paul says we're to reach this goal. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. And by it, he's referring again to fully conform to Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible is full of examples of what happens when we look back instead of looking at Christ. When we look around instead of looking at Christ. You look at Peter in the, uh, in, in the New Testament. Um, he goes out to walk on water with Christ. And when he starts to look at the waves that are pressing in on him and stops looking at Christ, he starts to sink. And Christ has to, has to help him out. <laughs> That's not nearly as bad as what happens to Lot's wife in the Old Testament when she chooses to look back. You see, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and, but Lot was faithful, so he sent angels to rescue Lot and his fa- family. Well, as they're leaving the cities, the angels give one instruction. Do not stop and do not look back. Well, Lot, of course, Lot's family starts to run. They start to go. They start to head out. Um, and of course... Um, wifey decides to disobey the one, one command that she got given, and she looks back and is immediately turned into a pile of salt. Um, but the Bible isn't the only place that this happens. What do we do when life is rough and falling apart? It's so easy to retreat into the good old times. For y'all, that would be like middle school, so really not that great of times. Um, but seriously, There's a theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, and he says that to live in the past is to hide from the reality of the present and the challenges of the future. I mean, there's a little something that happens every Thursday that that just exemplifies this to a T. How easy is it when school is, is getting hard and getting boring and we're not having as much fun as we used to and we feel like we don't have friends? How easy is it to find some great picture of last summer when we were with all our buds and put it up with a little hashtag TBT. Or throwback Thursday for those of you not born in the 90s. Um, we do the same thing in our faith. We become so concerned with how bad we were in the past, or even our past successes, that we lose sight of Christ's plan for our lives. Paul addresses this in his own life back in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 3. He says that, Though I myself has re- have reasons for self- such confidence... 
If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul had been a perfectionist when it came to the law. He was in the highest ranking of the religious officials, knew the law backwards and forwards. But on the other side of things, he had persecuted Christ himself. He had killed hundreds of Christians. But Paul says he counts all of these as loss in comparison to what Christ has in store for him. The spiritually mature refuse even a sideways glance in satisfaction of what they have already accomplished. What I got to ask you guys is have you done anything to move forward in sanctification since returning from Colorado? It doesn't have to be Colorado. It has to be, it's your latest come to Jesus moment. Are your eyes still fixed on that moment or have you taken steps forward? Yeah, you've probably faltered since then, since rededicating your life to growing in him. But what Paul is encouraging us to do is to not focus on our latest fall, but instead on the steps that got us there. And to work to taking more steps before the next time we fall. The best illustration I heard of this was, um, was actually one of our Tuesday sessions with the Explicit Gospel. Um, Matt Chandler's talking about how when babies start to walk for the first time, um, <laughs> because their heads are so big and their bodies are so disproportionate, they start to take steps forward. And of course, they're falling forward as they do it, but that's the reason they're able to take steps. He says that as parents watch this, it's, it's like a step, 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 and just bam, flat on the face. Well, the parents don't respond by saying, oh my gosh. Your sister can walk, your mom can walk, the dog can walk. What the heck is wrong with you? No, what they, what they delight in is the fact that you took steps. You took steps and you got further. And guess what? Next time, you're going to take more steps before you fall. You're going to take more steps before you fall. Then you're going to walk. Then you're going to run. It's the same thing with our, with our spiritual lives. You notice that Paul uses the word straining in the text. This will be no walk in the park. But if your eyes are set on Christ, you can be assured he will not let you go. That brings us to our second point. It is impossible to look backwards and keep our eyes on Christ at the same time. But let's look at verse 15 and 16 uh, to see what Paul says about how we strive and run towards the call of Christ. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There, there are a few. Um, actually, there are a lot of things that my brother and I have disagreed on since birth. It started out with whose Game Boy was whose, and it went to who should take the trash out, to now it's who's the strongest, which <laughs> Gage always tries to prove by wrestling me. However, the longer we've lived... And the more we've matured physically and emotionally, the less we've disagreed on things that don't matter. Instead, we've begun to focus on developing our relationship more deeply. This means that we have each other's back no matter what, and that loving each other is more important than anything we could fight about. Your spiritual growth is much the same way. The more you mature, the less concerned you are with points of differing opinion, Instead, the spiritually mature are focused and daily remind themselves that they are not mature. They don't have it going on. That's so me. Cling to God 
and he will graciously correct you on any wrong beliefs you may have. Paul explains what continued spiritual progress looks like, and it's much like how my relationship with my brother increases. It's not through magical insights that will just be laid on your heart. Instead, it's through the practice of Christ-like values, love and service to others. Spiritual progress requires effort. If you look back in, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 2, um, Paul says, um, Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But what he also, what, what he also promises is back in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Um, he promises that, that as you do this, you can have confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's so encouraging. As you work through these steps, as you work taking that, that, that leap, God's going to be there and he's going to make sure it is completed. But that's our third point. With spiritual maturity, you realize you're not spiritually mature. Paul shows a healthy, self of exam- a healthy dose of self-examination in chapter 3. He knows where he stands with Christ and his inability to live up to Christ's example. But he knows what he has attained. Because of this, he knows where his next step in the race to become like Jesus is. The New American Standard Bible uh, phrases verse 16 like this. Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. The key to knowing where your standard is is merely asking God to show you. Draw close to him and he will remind you where you stand. That despite your imperfections and inability to become like him, Jesus still stands to intercede for us and make us righteous in the sight of God. And that because of Jesus' work, your desire to become like him will only all the more increase. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Um, to close, guys, Paul constantly referenced the imagery of races in his letters. At the time of their writing, culture had the same, if not a bigger, emphasis on sports. Although the image of this life as a race may be beat to death, <laughs> it remains true despite the test of time. And as such, it's worth drawing a parallel. Our initial call in committing ourselves to Christ is our starting gun. And conformity to Christ is our finish line. If we jog, don't give it our all, or even quit halfway, what does that say to God? Did we ever truly love him just to give up because we get tired or fall down? Uh, the 1992 Olympics were held in Barcelona. Um, and there was a man running in it named Derek Redmond. Um, Redmond first broke the British record for the 400 in 1985. He then did it again in 1987 because he's an overachiever. <laughs> he ran with a team in the World Championships who ran the second fastest 4x4 in history, in the history of ever. <laughs> um, but that's not to say he didn't struggle through it. Um, before going in the 1992 Olympics, Redmond had had eight surgeries on, on pre-existing injuries, but he chose to ran it, run anyway. Well, he goes into it great. He looks awesome. He sets the fastest time for, this, for, the, uh, for the first round. And then he goes into the quarterfinal, wins it. 
and he sets up to run in the semifinal race um, with full intention of running to win. However, when that goal was put out of reach, Redmond didn't stop. He wasn't satisfied with making it there. And in the end, who else but his father was there to help him continue on to finish the race? And so I got a little video for you guys. What a, what, a, what a picture-perfect example of Christ's love for us. When we run that race, when we strive after him, he's going to make sure we finish. When we fall in agony, we're expected to get up. We have a responsibility and an obligation to finish. Yet with the full faith that our Father will be there to help us finish. He will pick us up and he will carry us the rest of the way. No Olympic officials will be able to keep us from finishing because our Father will help us forget what is behind and protect us from our present struggles in order to conform to Christ's image. You sure may not be able to conform to Christ's image right now in this life, but because of the help of our Father, you sure are able to try. I'm going to pray. Lord, you are our Father, 
and we thank you for walking us through this life. We know that you delight in our triumphs and cry with us through our agony. God, I would ask that you would now show each of one of us in this room where we stand with you, whether we're running, walking, or hunched over in defeat. I ask that you would comfort us. More importantly, God, I ask that you would continue to urge each of us to victory in you because the ultimate victory has already been won through Christ Jesus. We thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word. Um, And we ask that you would keep each one of us as we go on. We ask all this in your name. Amen.